Good morning guys, it's Josh Wood here. I uh, just want to say good morning to Glory City Melbourne. Thank you so much to uh, Pastors Liam and Shenny for having me minister to you guys, to your church family this morning. It's a little bit different, I know, different times for all of us. Right now I'm preaching to my iPad and you're watching it a couple of days later on your, your devices. So it takes a little bit of getting used to. And, uh, but the Holy Spirit's the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I really feel that God's put a, a key word on my heart for you guys, for us as the body of Christ in this season. And I want to share that with you guys this morning. So uh, I really want to start off um, just, with, with, just by praying. And then we're going to look at some scriptures. And I'm going to, we're going to read through some scripture to get together today. And then I'm going to sort of just preach and teach out of those scriptures. And we're going to look at what the Bible has to say. So anyway, Father, we just thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you that you are the King of the universe and you're our good Father. So Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for Glory City Melbourne. I thank you for Lord, every single member of this family. Even though I'm not with them right now in body, I thank you, Lord, that I'm with them in spirit. Thank you, Father, even as they listen today, Lord. I pray, Father God, that you would speak to me and speak through me. Holy Spirit, I just yield myself to you and I pray that, Lord, you would just minister to all of us today, Father, that you would reveal truth to us, Holy Spirit. You'd help us to know you more and to walk closer with you than ever before. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for just a, a grace to be released right now upon everyone listening, everyone watching. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well... I, uh, I really want to start today actually in the Gospel of Matthew, and there's a phrase that Jesus uses here, and it's used twice in, uh, specifically in the Gospel of Matthew in two different situations. So I want us to look at these two different accounts, and we're going to talk a little bit into that, um, look at what the Bible says uh, here. We're going to start off actually in Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to read from verse 9 down through to 13. So I'm just going to open up. I've got a little tab in the Bible ready to go right here. So Matthew chapter 9, and it says this here, and we start in verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened, as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. The next passage of scripture that this is used is, in, is found in Matthew chapter 12. And we're going to read 
Matthew 12 from verse 1 through verse 8. So if you want to turn with me there, Matthew chapter 12, and starting in verse 1, it says this, And at that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And there's an exclamation mark there. They're pretty unhappy about this. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those, uh, for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Now, that phrase there where he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, that is actually a reference from uh, the book of Hosea, chapter 6, and specifically verse 6. And it's used here in, in, in two different contexts in the, the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and in the first context, we read how Jesus he called Matthew to follow him, and the Bible says that he sat and he ate with tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees were very upset about this. Um, and if we understand the law, if we understand their tradition, uh, for Jesus to eat with sinners, it's like he's partaking in their sin. It's in the same way that if someone was unclean, like we would have a leper, and the, the law says that that person is unclean. If the leper touches anybody or anybody touches the leper, that person also becomes unclean. But we know there's a number of different occasions where Jesus cleansed the lepers. The Bible would, uh, Jesus would use that phrase. He would say, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, cleanse the lepers. And so we have this incredible uh, parallel here we have in the Old Testament according to the law that if someone's clean and they touch something or someone that's unclean then they themselves become unclean but then we have Jesus arrive on the scene and we have lepers coming to him saying Lord if you are willing you can make me whole and Jesus reaches out and he touches them and says I am willing be cleansed be clean and instead of Jesus becoming unclean, the unclean person becomes clean. And so we have this incredible parallel here where he touches the untouchable ones. And there's this incredible transference that takes place that according to the law and the prophets, according to even the Jewish traditions, was actually contrary to what they knew and understood as the will of God. In the second account, when, uh, when Jesus uses this phrase in Matthew, 
we see that him and his disciples are out on the Sabbath and they were picking grains of wheat and eating them. Now, again, according to the Sabbath, that was unlawful to do on the Sabbath for them to go out and to pick grains of wheat. Now, when we sometimes it's easy to read this as New Covenant believers and we just kind of breeze over and go, wow, those Pharisees were, you know, they really missed the mark. But we have to understand that the frame of mind they came from was that the Torah, the Word of God, their Bible said that what these men are doing is actually sin. It's unlawful. So from their perspective, Jesus is permitting his men, his disciples, to sin. And what blows me away is, is that we see this kind of a situation, this scenario play out over and over again in the Gospels, to the point that the Pharisees and the Sadducees get so upset at Jesus that they ultimately have him crucified. And it's amazing, you know, there's this um, verse in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 17, And Jesus says this, he said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, it seems, might seem like, um, again, another verse that we could easily brush over without understanding the context. So he's saying to them, Do not think that I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. So the Lord, being the Lord, knew the thoughts and intents of every man's heart, every woman's heart. He knew that they were watching what he was doing, what he was teaching. Like Jesus said, you've heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. So he's actually quoting the Torah and it seems as if he's teaching them something that's actually contrary to the Torah. So that's why he says, don't think that I've come to destroy it, because they're standing there thinking, this man is destroying the law and the prophets. He's teaching people to do contrary to what the law commands. And again, sometimes uh, if you don't come from a Jewish background, if you don't come from Jewish tradition, and we just come into the gospel, into the kingdom as Gentile believers, and we read this, it's easy to try, it's easy to miss rather some of the context and the background of what is going on here in the conversation. But it's really important. And I, I want us to look at why this is important right now. You see, uh, there are many people, even in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, who did things that almost seem contrary to the law. And, and I, I want to give just one example of that. And... Uh, here, you know, Jesus quoted, he referenced David, David in the showbread. That's, you know, a, a great passage. He did what was unlawful to do. And it, and according to God, in God's eyes, it wasn't sin. Yet the Torah taught that that was sin. Now, there's a message in here. Now, I want to hear what, want you to hear what I'm going to bring out of, of Scripture. But we have here David himself in Psalm 32, verse 30, uh, sorry, verse 1 to 2. It says this, this is David. He says, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, this is one of many verses we could look at today, but I, I want to 
us to look at David because of this reference we just read, which is this reference, David and the Shobra. And here we have David, who's a man who is an old covenant believer. He was a Jewish man living under the old covenant. And, and according to the old covenant, the penalty of sin is death. You did something wrong. You were stoned. You did something wrong. You know, there was consequences uh, and quite often very severe consequences that the law demanded. And here we have David saying, blessed is the person whose transgression is forgiven. And he says, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Now, I don't know about you, but if we think again about David, we think about the context, we think about the scriptures that they had, according to everything that the Lord and the prophets said, is that it's impossible for iniquity to not be imputed to the one who's committed iniquity. It says here, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And then we read these, it seems that we read these passages in the Old Testament, it's like, People sinned, the ground opened up, swallowed them, and they died. People rebelled, they spoke against Moses. Servants came and bid them, and they died. And so we see this extreme of sin and the consequences of sin. And then we have people like David who caught something that not everyone caught in the Old Testament. And Jesus came to amplify that. David said, Blessed is the one that even though he's deserving of sin, even though he has sinned, God forgives him and God doesn't commit and impute his iniquities to him. Now, what's amazing about this is if we flip back to the New Covenant, back to the New Testament, and we go right to the start of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1 and verse uh, 19, actually that whole passage in Matthew 1, it's obviously it's about Mary being told that she's uh, going to have a baby, and this is a very special baby. This is God's own son, and to call him Jesus. And at that time, Mary was betrothed to Joseph. And here we have um, in Matthew chapter one verse nineteen, Joseph discovers that Mary's pregnant, and he obviously knows that the baby isn't his. So we, we don't know specifically the conversation that went on, the implications of that. But again, according to the law which God gave to Moses, that in this situation, if a woman is betrothed to a man and she falls pregnant, then according to the law, if, we, if we're going to be real black and white, according to the law, she actually deserves to be stoned. Joseph could expose her sin. And she could be stoned, and according to the law, he would be blameless in demanding that offer because she sinned against him. Now, the amazing thing that we see here, though, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, it says this. It says, when Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make a public example was minded to put her away secretly. Now here we have Joseph. He's found out that Mary's pregnant. Obviously he's processing this whole situation. 
he could have told everyone, he could have told the leaders, the elders in, in his community, they could have dragged her out on the street, made a public spectacle of her, shamed her, embarrassed her, and had her stoned. But the Bible says that because Joseph was a just man, because he was a just man, and he didn't want to make a public example, that he decided that he was going to put it away, put it away, deal with it secretly, and not bring shame and disgrace to Mary, and not demand that she be stoned. Now, it's again, these are things that we can miss so easily sometimes, and I'm coming to a, a point, I'm coming to a conclusion here, but what I want us to look at is this, is that although, according to the law, made a certain demand, or rather, God said, if you sin, the, the penalty of sin, the wages of sin, is death. So, so sometimes, Old Testament believers, and even us in the New Covenant, we can see the letter of the law, we can see the Scripture say a certain thing, and we can think that it's just all about a certain moral code, but we miss the whole point of the commandment. And here we have the Bible says that because Joseph was a just man, he actually showed mercy to Mary. He forgave Mary. So the law required a certain thing. The law required consequence that would result in Mary's shame and ultimate her death. However, because Joseph was a good man, there's a reason why God chose Mary and Joseph. He decided that he was going to show mercy. And the Bible says that that is a good man right there. That's a just man. And here we have, um, I'm just skipping down here in my notes. Uh, ultimately, we know that Mary in and of herself was innocent. Mary didn't sin. So we could say, well, Mary actually is innocent. She didn't deserve to die. Correct. Uh, but then we have another account in John chapter 8, verse 2 to 12. And I'm, I'm not going to read that just for time's sake right now. But it says that Jesus was confronted by Pharisees and they brought to him a woman. I'm sure we're all familiar with the story. They brought to him a woman who they said that was caught in the act of adultery. So here we have a woman who actually was guilty of adultery and they grabbed her, they dragged her and they brought her to Jesus to test Jesus. And they said to him, the law of Moses requires that she be stoned. What do you say that we should do? And they did that because they wanted to trick him, because they wanted him to say something that was contrary to the law, in it seemed as though the pattern of things that he was saying and doing in their perspective was contrary to the law and therefore contrary to God, but they were missing something. They were missing what we just looked at in Matthew, where Jesus said, go and discover what this means, or if you had understood what this means, you wouldn't be saying and doing what you're doing. And he said, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So here we have the Pharisees, they're, they're, they're trying to prove that they're right, they're uh, trying to keep to the letter of the law and demand, according to the law, this woman's guilty, she deserves to die. Now what are you going to say, Jesus? What are you going to do about it? And the Lord does the most incredible thing. 
he says to them, he says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And the most incredible thing happened. It says every single one of them, from the oldest to the youngest, I guess maybe the oldest have been around a little bit longer, maybe a bit more wisdom, maybe committed a few more sins than the younger, they became self-aware that they too deserved death. They too had broken the law and the prophets. And one by one, they dropped their stones and they walked away until there was no one left but Jesus. And the Lord said to her, Woman, where are your accusers? And she said, They're all gone. And he said, Then neither do I accuse you. Now, the incredible thing is this, and I know maybe some of you have heard this before, but in disqualifying them from bringing judgment and their view justice to this woman, in disqualifying them by saying, he who is without sin, let him throw the first stone, in disqualifying them, he actually qualified himself because he is the one and is the only one that is without sin. So according to the law and the prophets, according to the Torah, Jesus had the right as the righteous judge to pick up a stone and stone her. But the most incredible thing happened is that he didn't. He showed her grace, he showed her love, and he showed her mercy. Why? Is it just because he's trying to destroy the law and the prophets? No, he's trying to help us to understand the heart of God. Because God said, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus desires mercy. Jesus wants mercy and not sacrifice. There's so many passages, even in the Old Testament, where God says that he takes no delight in the death of the wicked, but that they should repent and be saved. Now, I'm getting somewhere with this, and I, I want us to see something. I'm just going to move down here. It says, it says this, that um, it's clear when we see these passages... Two things really stand out to us when we look at these passages, and particularly these passages we started with in Matthew. And, um, and the first one is this, first point I want us to look at is this here. Uh, and this is really the chief one, is that God wants us to understand His character and His nature. See, we need to be people that interpret the scripture through the character and nature of God as revealed through Christ. Not understanding God through our interpretation of scripture. See, Jesus came and he said in John 14 to Philip and the other disciples, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father also. So how can you say, show us the Father. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that. So when we've seen Jesus, we see the truth about who the Father is. Now, 
sin is bad. And the Bible teaches us that the wages of sin is death. And we know that on multiple levels, we commit sin, we steal against someone, it hurts them, they, they have lost. It brings pain into our own lives. There could be consequences with the authority within our community. Sin does damage spirit, soul, and body on multiple levels. And so there's a reality that the wages of sin are death. But Romans, in Romans there, he says the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Now, God didn't give us the Bible. He didn't give us the Old Testament, the New Testament, for us to wield it like a sword of judgment over people's lives and over this world. He wants us and he wants people to understand that sin causes death. Sin causes destruction. Sin opens us up to the snare of the wicked one. However, we, he wants us to see through the law, past the law and the commandments, to see what the very heart and purpose and intent is from the beginning. See, in 1 Timothy, he, Paul tells Timothy, he says that the goal of all our instruction, the goal of all our commandments is love from a pure heart, from sincere faith, from good conscience. And like Jesus talks about as well in, um, in, in the Gospels where he talks about uh, if a son asks his father for bread, would he give him a stone? If, if a son asks his father for a fish, would he give him a serpent? And he uses this illustration and he says, no, of course he wouldn't. He says, even a godless father, even someone that doesn't know God, a, a sinful man, an evil person, knows how to look after their children. And then he says, how much more? That phrase just sticks with me. How much more? Will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask Him? So He's saying your understanding of what is right for a father or a mother or father to treat their children is right and it's good that a father loves their children, provides for them. If the son asks their father, the mother for food, would it be good for them to give them something evil? No, of course not. Human sense, common sense, we know that that's not right. And he's saying, guys, God is like that and so much better. God's not here to beat you up, condemn you, throw you into prison. He's not here to make you sick, cause suffering and pain in your life. Your own sin does that. The wages of sin, not the wages of God, the wages of sin. You go to work, you do the time, you get paid. When you sin, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. See, God is really good, not in just some abstract way, not in a metaphorical way, not in a mysterious way. Well, hey, God's good, but yeah, we don't really understand this or that or why He does or why He allows. No, God is good, period. Jesus showed us that God is good. The thing is about God is that who, what the Bible teaches us about God, that God is good, He is a good Father, God is love, but we understand that God is also the judge. So I'll give you an analogy. 
we could have uh, a judge, we could have a man, he's maybe a, a husband, a father, he's a good husband, he's a good father, he loves his family, looks after them, you know, he uh, makes sure he stops at a pedestrian crossing if he's driving and let elderly people cross the road, he's a good person, he does the right thing, he's, you know, does his best to do what's right towards people and he's a good heart, maybe he's a son of God, or a, he's redeemed, but he is also a judge. So on his way to work that day, he kisses his wife and kids, maybe he, you know, whatever, he's, he's going about his day and he goes to work as a judge and he sits in that seat. And the law of the land could say, the law of the land of the country that he lives in could say, if you steal, this is the penalty, could be imprisonment for a term. If you kill, this is the penalty, could even be the death penalty. So here we have a good man, we have a good judge who's sitting in this seat and people who know the law, even in their heart and their conscience, know that it's wrong to kill someone. Maybe for whatever reason someone comes before him and they're being charged for manslaughter, they're being charged for murder, whatever it might be. According to the law, he has the ability to send that to sentence that person, he could sentence them to imprisonment. He could sentence them in some countries and some places to the death penalty, whatever it might be. Now, if by their own person's actions, who's murdered someone, who's stolen whatever, and they've come forward, maybe they've shown repentance, maybe they haven't, maybe they're just like they don't they don't care at all. And this judge, in his heart. Could, could know that he doesn't want that person to go to jail. He could look at that person, the murderer, the thief, whoever it might be, and have compassion in his heart. Might look at that person's family sitting in, in, the, uh, in the audience there, in the courtroom, sitting there crying because they're thinking their dad's or their mom, whoever is going to go to jail or whatever. And he could see that and be moved with compassion and love. And it doesn't take away from who he is. However, because the law says something and he's the judge, he has the lawful right to make the decision. Now, anyone who doesn't know God, anyone who doesn't believe in God would say that that's so. You can scroll through your internet feed, whatever, Facebook, Instagram. You could watch a news article and hear about some person doing some great evil in the world. And this righteous anger rises up inside of us when we go, that person should be judged. They need to be put in prison. They need to be put behind bars. If, they, if they're allowed to let go, they're just going to keep hurting people. They're going to keep killing people, whatever it might be. We all know that's common sense. Of course, if there's someone that's a serial killer, why would we just say, well, hey, you know, that's bad, but hey, just go for it. No, they need to be detained. They, they, there needs to be a righteous uh, a judgment that needs to be made that might actually look like them being put in prison for a time. But we know that it's for their own well-being. We know that it's for the safety of others. So when we see God and we see who he is, yes, he's the judge, but that doesn't take away in any sense from his character or his nature. He doesn't want people to go to prison. He doesn't want people to go to hell. He doesn't want people to be sick. He doesn't want people to be diseased. He wants people to be healed. He wants people to be saved. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
But I have come, Jesus said, he has come, that they would have life and have it abundantly, the fullness of life, eternal life, spirit, soul, and body on earth and in heaven, eternal, eternal life right now and forever. So we have to make sure we don't miss God's heart and nature through our interpretation of scripture. Now, this is really important. This is probably really why I'm getting to this place. Because right now we have this whole, our whole world is in a place of turmoil because of this coronavirus. And, and we can look and we can make all sorts of judgments. We can make accusations either way. And we can say, well, it's because of this. It's because of that. It's because of this person. It's because of the church. It's because of people who don't believe in Jesus. We could say, you know, it's the devil. We could say it's God's judgment, whatever. And we can even cherry pick scriptures to back up. Our, our view of judgment. Say, well, God's allowed, or God's sent, or, well, you know, this is what happened in, in the Old Testament, or God did this, and God did that. And what we're doing is, is we're standing in the place of the judge when there's only one person who can stand in that place. There's only one person without sin who can actually stand in that place and make a right judgment call. And he said to us, do not judge. Judge not that you be not judged. He said to us, guys, it's not your role to judge people. It's your role to love people. And I, I want to kind of wrap it up and conclude on this point. I have no idea how long I've been preaching for, so forgive me if this has gone for a little bit too long. Um, I want to finish on this, and this is from John chapter 20 verse 21 to 23. So this is just after the resurrection. This is just before the ascension. Uh, so Jesus said to his disciples, Peace to you, as the Father sent me, I also send you. So this is Jesus passing the baton. The commission, the mandate uh, that the Father had given him on the earth, now he's passing it to us and said, in the same way that the Father sent me, the same authority, the same mandate, the same mission, now I send you. Now this is key here in light of what he just said. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Vitally important. I'm not going to teach about baptism of the Spirit right now, but we can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that himself. And he, but this is what he said, and sometimes we're breezed over this because it's hard to understand or it seems like a mystery. But Jesus said, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. It's easy to sit back and critique and judge the world and talk about the end times in a way that, point, that paints God in a picture akin to someone like Zeus. You know, the, the Greek mythological god um, who sits in the heavens and throws down bolts of lightning to kill people and destroy people. Sometimes it's easy for us to look back and go, well, hey, you know, this is what people deserve. People are only getting what they deserve. And, and, and we, we paint this picture of God in a certain way to the world. Uh, but what if evil persists on the earth not by the will of God or because God allows or God sends, but what if evil persists on the earth because 
we hold people's sins against them? What if people are dying in their sin, not because God has struck them down or allowed the devil or disease to come upon them, but because his own children, who are meant to know his heart and his true nature, the ones who he has already given his kingdom and authority to, what if us, those people in that position, are the ones that are actually condemning the world? What if us, who life and death is in the power of our tongue, instead of speaking life and forgiveness over people, we're actually holding people's sins against them and speaking judgment and death on people instead of forgiving people's sins and releasing the captives. You know, it's amazing. So many times in the Gospels, Jesus would, would come before people and he would tell them, your sins are forgiven. Actually, there's more times recorded that he would say that to people than he would say, be healed. Even people coming to him for healing, they weren't even asking for repentance. They weren't falling on their knees crying, saying, God, forgive me, I've sinned. Jesus, forgive me, I've sinned. But he would declare over them a release of the captives. He would tell them, your sins are forgiven. Now, there's a reason for it. We, we, we've got to understand we could get into sin and sickness and how all that relates together. But the reality is, is we have to understand that he desires mercy and not sacrifice, mercy and not judgment. I want to kind of finish on, on this now. Um, we have two sons, Harry and Elijah, and sometimes they sin against each other. Sometimes they'll hurt one another with their words or with their, with their fists, whatever. They'll slap each other. They do those things sometimes, believe it or not. All kids do that. Um, sometimes all adults, adults do that as well. One thing we do quite a lot is if one brother has sinned against another bro brother, uh, we will go to our son who's actually been wronged. And when we talk to both of them, this, our son that's been wronged, we will leave the choice of his brother's discipline or his brother's punishment up to him. So we'll say to him, yeah, we know that your brother's done the wrong thing by you. We know that he hurt you and you shouldn't have done that. You know that's wrong. He knows that's wrong. Now, what do you think should happen to your brother? And then you should be like, oh, I don't know. Well, they hurt me. And, and, and quite often we will empower them and leave the decision to, with them for their brother's punishment or discipline. And you would be amazed, 10 out of 10 times, with that power in the hand before us, they'll come back and they'll talk to the brother in front of us. And they know that they could say, we're not allowed to play video games for a month. And they could make up any punishment. We, we just wrote them a blank check, but instead they'll show mercy. Say, you know what? You did this to me and it really hurt me, but I forgive you. And... You know, they might say something simple like, maybe you can do my chore tonight or something. But they always show mercy. Because it's not about trying to condemn people, condemn the world. It's not about using scripture as a means to hurt people or judge people. But it's about understanding God's heart. Yes, we sin and there's consequences. 
But God wants to save us from those consequences. Because if he didn't, then none of us would be saved. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life. So I just want to finish on that note. And um, and really, just this one last thought here before I finish. The Lord really gives us a key to, to a lot of this. In, uh, in the preceding two verses, uh, before that account of the woman who was caught in adultery in, in John chapter 7, uh, sorry, John chapter 8. And it says this, just before the whole scenario happens with the Pharisees bringing the woman who committed adultery before Jesus, the preceding two verses, it's the last verse of chapter 7 and the first verse of chapter 8, it says this, and everyone went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. I just want to finish on this thought. Jesus knew the Father. He knew the Father. Him and the Father was one. He knew the Father's heart. He knew the Father in the secret place. And because he knew who the Father was, because he knew the truth, he didn't just know the truth, he was the truth, when he was confronted with that situation, with the woman who, according to the Lord, deserved to die, he, he knew that it wasn't about the letter. Paul says that the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So I want to encourage us, and I want to encourage you guys, us as the Church of God, in this time of trials and tribulations, in this time where the world is in chaos and looking for answers, let's not be people that wields the Word of God in a way that brings judgment and death upon people. But let's see through and pass the law. Let's see through and pass judgment and understand that God's heart is good. He's a good father. Let's see past it and understand that he doesn't want anyone to die. He doesn't want people dying from the coronavirus. He doesn't want people going to hell. And could it possibly be that he's waiting for us as his children, his sons and his daughters, to actually stand in the gap and intercede for this world and instead of condemning this world, actually bring forgiveness and see the captive set free? Let's just pray together right now. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to reveal the truth about who the Father is. And I pray for everyone listening and watching to this, that all of us, Lord God, would not be people that would yield the power and the authority that you gave us to destroy men's lives, but we would yield it to save men and women, Lord. Save their lives to bring healing, to bring forgiveness and hope. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you guys.